Hello, and welcome to the River of Life podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. And that's what we are praying for, longing for, and seeking for. I would like at this time to invite all the men of the church who will join me to come as we bow down before the Lord at the altar together. I think there is something very special when men take leadership, when men take a stand, when men of God are unashamed of their faith, and they are unashamed to bow down before their God. I say this all the time. Thank God for the godly women who have stood in the gap through the years. But I thank God for a church that's strong with men who love the Lord and are willing to humble themselves down before a holy God. Hallelujah. 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 Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we bow down before you as humbly as we know how. You are the Lord God of all flesh, and there are no other gods except you. You and you alone are the creator of the universe. And Father, we thank you that you have made provision for us through the blood of your dear Son to come right into your presence, to come into the Holy of Holies, And Father, today we bow before you. We ask you, Lord, to hear our cry. We pray, Lord, for your presence. We pray for an experience of your goodness. We pray that you will open the heavens above us this very day. We pray that this place will be filled with the atmosphere of the Holy One of Israel. Father, we ask now that you will not only bless this service, but bless every family represented here today. And bless every family in this fellowship. We seek your blessings. Lord, we know that if we gain the whole world and lose our souls, we've gained nothing. And so, Father, we desire you and we ask for you to bless us this day. Lord, we pray that every Christian in this house today will be encouraged. We pray that if there's someone here today who has never had a personal experience with you, that today will be a day of divine, supernatural revelation and new birth. We pray, Father, that souls will be saved, that lives will be changed, that bodies will be healed, that relationships will be mended. We pray, Father, that things will happen in this service in these next few moments that no man can take the credit for, that we would have to say to God be the glory, great things he hath done. Lord, we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I always get tickled when we do this, because if you pray very long, there's a lot of moaning and groaning up at the altar (laughs) when these guys are getting up. I'd like for you to open your Bibles 
to the book of 1 John, and we'll begin reading in just a moment <clears throat> in verse 12. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. <clears throat> Before I read the text, I want to share something with you about the Bible itself. The Bible was written over a period of roughly 2,000 years by 40 different authors from three continents who wrote in three different languages, shepherds, kings, scholars, fishermen, prophets, a military general, a cupbearer, and a priest, all penned portions of Scripture. Now, friends... These facts alone (laughs) tell us that the Bible is a unique book, that it's the most unique book that's ever been written. But when you add to that the unity of the Bible, the central message of Scripture, the fulfillment of its prophecies, and the scientific accuracy that we find in its pages, and more important than all of that, the power that it brings into the lives of those who believe it and trust it, then we begin to understand that this book is more than unique, that this book that we call the Bible is inspired, that it's anointed, that it's true, that it's supernatural, that it is the Word of the living God. That's what we know about Scripture. Now, As we look at this book of 1 John, I've been sharing this with you as we go through the book, that John was what we call the last man standing. He was the last contributor of divine revelation as recorded in the Bible, the Word of God. He was the last one who penned words in the pages of the Bible. Of all this long line of authors that God chose, John was the last author who wrote in the Holy Bible. Now, one of the ways that we can look at the writings of 1 John is this. This holy, divine, supernatural, marvelous book that survives from generation to generation and it's alive and it touches the hearts of every new generation, is as God wrote this book and inspired men to write this book, when it came to the point of concluding his words, he chose John to sum up what he had to say. He chose John to finish the works of divine inspiration as recorded in the Bible. So when you and I are reading the book, of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, the book of Revelation, we're actually reading the last words that were written by a man placed in the Bible. Now, we know he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But when we study these writings of 1 John, we know that we're reading what God had to say, his final comments to us as mankind. The last time I preached two weeks ago, we looked at the fact that John said the love of God is important. You have to have the love of God. If you don't have the love of God, God wanted us to understand that he has shed his love abroad in our hearts. He has poured his love out in our hearts. There's a lot of phony, fake, 
superficial Christianity in the world today, but God wanted us to know that real, genuine Christianity is full of the agape, supernatural love of God that's not of this world. I, I, I love this about Christianity. I do. I love this. Christianity gives you the ability to love people that are not lovable. We get to love mean, stinking, aggravating, hateful, ungodly people. We don't compromise with their ways, but we get to love them with the love of God. And we get to reach out on them. And we get to refuse not to give up on them because His love abides in us. And we are carriers of something otherworldly, something that's supernatural. We get to love when love does not make sense. And that's a wonderful thing. Now, where we pick up in our text today is this. John begins to talk about spiritual growth and the reason, that being the reason for writing the very book of 1 John. One of the things I love about John's writing is John is one of those preachers who doesn't just tell you what he has to tell you, but he tells you why he's about to tell you what he's about to tell you. Have you ever heard a preacher like that? I'm going to tell you this, but I want you to know why I'm about to tell you this, and that's John. So John says, I want to talk to you about spiritual growth, and he lets us know that that is the very reason he's actually writing this book. We'll pick up in verse 12. You follow along, and then we'll break it down. I write to you, little children. See, he's saying why I'm writing to you. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I've written unto you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, the first thing I want to share with you about this passage of Scripture is this, that through the ages, the scholars and the theologians have debated the style of this text. If you read it carefully, you will recognize that it doesn't sound a lot like the rest of the New Testament. It sounds a little more like the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, perhaps the book of Proverbs. I write unto you little children. I write unto you fathers. I write unto you young men. And then he goes through that list again. Uh, it has a poetic sound and flow to it that you don't find elsewhere in the New Testament. And so they've debated the style and why John wrote that way. And then there are all kinds of ideas about why he says, I write unto you little children. I write unto you fathers. I write unto you young men. And then he repeats that. And by the way, this adds to the confusion a little bit. If you keep reading in the book of 1 John, what you'll find out is later on, he calls them all little children. He says, I write unto you little children. And then he'll just talk. Now, 
John was very old. He was perhaps in his 90s, and it was very endearing, and that's just the way he wrote. I write into you little children. Well, I, I don't have the wisdom or the ability to discuss the style of the text, but I can tell you this morning, friends, that the content of the text I just shared with you is amazing, and it is endearing, and it has a sense of love and compassion and care that will warm your heart. Here, this aged apostle, this last apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ is showing a great deal of love and compassion for those who were under his charge. Listen again and see if you don't agree with me. I write unto you because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you because you know the eternal one. You know the one who is from the beginning. I write unto you because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you because you are strong in the faith. And I write unto you because the word of God abides in you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I get all pumped up. I want to say, wow, 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 that's encouraging. Those are definitely encouraging words. You see, the Holy Spirit was speaking through John to the early church, and I might say also to us, to you and me, it was written for our teaching and admonition also. The Holy Spirit was writing through John to the early church to reaffirm the very foundation of their faith. The Holy Spirit wanted to encourage them at the beginning and the foundation of their faith for the purpose of imparting unto them greater truth so that they could build on that foundation. John was building them up so he could build them up. Now, that's a very important statement, and I hope you will not forget this portion of the message. John was not beating them up so he could build them up. Sometimes we get it all confused. When I first started preaching a long time ago, I'm glad, I'm glad I don't hear much of this anymore. But when I started preaching a long time ago, people would say, Preacher, if you don't get on my toes, if you don't stomp on my toes and hurt me a little bit, it's not good preaching. Really? Is that what you signed up for? Come to River of Life, we'll beat you up. And that's the way you'll know the anointing of the Lord is on us because we beat you up and stomp on your toes and make you feel bad and make you feel guilty. No. No, friends, I don't hear that much anymore. And I'm glad John didn't beat them up so he could build them up. He was building them up so he could build them up even greater. So he could speak life into them. I tell you today, friends, and if you've never thought about this, you need to think about it. You can use the truth the wrong way. From the beginning of my ministry, I've known people who took the truth of God and they beat people up with it. They didn't care what happened and how it affected people. They beat them up with it. And friends, I want you to know that's counterproductive. 
You can't beat people up and then build them up. It doesn't work. It's counterproductive. Now, let me tell you who can do that. God. God can beat you up and then build you up. The Holy Spirit can tear you down, melt your heart, break your heart, and then at the same time lovingly heal and bind up your broken heart. The Holy Spirit can do that. But God has not called us to beat people up and to be mean-spirited and to be hateful and to hurt them and to whip them with the truth of God. That's not our business. Let me tell you something. The Apostle Paul said this. The Apostle Paul said, I become all things to all men that I might by all means win some. Paul didn't go around beating people up with the truth and alienating people and condemning people. He went around the country trying to find common ground with them. He didn't compromise his faith. He didn't agree with the sins of the world. He knew the righteous standards of God, but he went around the country and he found common ground with people that he might begin to share with them something good, something glorious, and lead them into the precious holy light of an eternal Father that would change their lives forever. Paul got it. I'm telling you, please listen to me. When when you build people up, you give them an ear to hear. When you tear people down, you alienate yourself from people. You alienate yourself from people. And you got to be careful when you do that. Now, back to our text. What if somebody... What if you had not heard me preaching this message today? What if when you walked in the building, what if somebody had walked up to you and said, I've got something I want to tell you. I've got a message for you. It's a message from God. And this message is going to straighten you out. And then the person says, but before I give you this message, God wanted me to tell you why he's delivering this message to you. And this is why God is delivering this message to you. The Holy Spirit says your sins have been forgiven for His name's sake. The Holy Spirit says you know the Eternal One. You've met the Father through His Son. The Holy Spirit says you are an overcomer. You have already overcome the wicked one. The Holy Spirit says you have eternal anointed Holy Ghost strength abiding in you and the Holy Spirit says the word of God is abiding in you. And now I'm ready to tell you what God sent me to tell you. Boy, that'd get your attention, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that wake you up? Man, I don't know about you, but if somebody walked up to me and said that to me, I'd say, bring it on, man. I'm ready. I got ears to hear. I want to hear every word you got to say. Oh, Because that's how the Spirit moves, friends. And that was what was going on here. Now, child of God, are you ready? I'm getting ready to encourage you. Right out of this text, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to share something with you that I hope will get you excited. Do it. Stop talking about it and do it, right? I'm with you. I'm there. All right, here it is. What we read in verses 12 through 14 is not a description of Christian maturity. It describes the beginning of our faith. 
everything I've just shared with you is true of a person at the moment they get saved. Follow with me. See if you don't agree. At the moment you get saved, your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. Amen? At the moment you get saved, you meet the eternal one. You meet Jesus Christ, the one who was with the Father from the beginning, right? At the moment you get saved, you become an overcomer, right? You don't have to wait six months, do you? The moment you repent of your sins and you get saved, Jesus Christ comes into your heart, and at that very moment, you may not understand it all, but at that very moment, you have overcome the wicked one because he that's in you is greater than he that's in the world, right? And at, Yeah, come on. At the... At the moment you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes into you. The Bible says that if we do not have the Spirit, we are none of His. Romans, the 8th chapter. So the moment you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in. You know what that means? That means you're strong. That means you have eternal strength in you. That means you have power residing in you. You may not have a clue how to use it, but it's there. And I'll tell you something else. The moment... You get saved. The Word of God abides in you. Not all of it. There's far more to learn. But I can tell you that the Word of God abides in you. You can't get saved apart from somebody and the Holy Spirit imparting unto you the saving grace that comes through the Word of God. So, let me say it again. If you're a Christian today, I encourage you. I want to tell you right from the start, that your sins have been forgiven for His name's sake, that you know the Eternal One, that you are an overcomer, that you are strong in the faith. It is in you, and the Word of God abides in you. Now, why am I sharing that with you like that? Because I want you to know that all of those things are true. If you got saved yesterday, every one of those things are true. That's not a description of Christian maturity. That's a description of the beginning point of your life. That's where you get started. That's where it all begins. Now, what John does, and the reason I read this whole passage of Scripture, is what John does is he says, I'm writing unto you because all these things are true. Now, look at verse 15. He says, Now, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. Now, by the way, if, those, if that was a description of Christian maturity, this verse wouldn't even make sense, would it? But he says, all these things are true of you. Now that you know they're true, do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. You see, do you understand what John's saying? John's saying, all this stuff is true of you. Now, it's time for you to take the first step of Christian growth. And that first real step of Christian growth, after you become aware that your sins are forgiven, that you know the Father, that Jesus lives in your heart, that you're an overcomer, that the Word of God is in you and you have the strength to do it, the first thing you do is you take a step in this direction and here's the step. My heart no longer belongs to the world. My heart 
is not, does not belong. That this world is passing away and the things of this world. The first step you take in spiritual growth is this, and that is that my heart belongs to the Savior. My heart belongs to the Lord. I'm going to tell you, friends, you can't bypass this. If you do, John basically says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. This, uh, you can't bypass this. First step, spiritual growth. Once these things are true, is your heart belongs to God. You give your heart to God. By the way, Paul said to the Colossian church almost exactly the same thing. You remember? Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Oh, John is saying, now you're ready. Now that all of these things are true, now you're ready to grow in grace. Now you're ready to grow up in the faith. Now you're ready to take that step and say, I don't love the world anymore. I live in the world. It's not even wrong to enjoy the world. But this world becomes secondary to us. Our hearts now belong to God. Our, our, our affection is on those things above We love the Lord. I want to take just a moment to talk to you about spiritual growth. And uh, I want to tell you what spiritual growth is not. I hope you'll listen carefully. Spiritual growth is not claiming to be spiritually mature. There are people everywhere who claim to be spiritually mature who are not. That is not spiritual growth. Worldly success does not equal growth and maturity. You may look around you and you may see somebody in this church and they're far more successful uh, in the things of the world. And you think, man, God's blessing them. And, and I'm telling you, friends, they must, they must really be walking. That's not true. Affluence and education certainly does not. Success in the ranks of the church and Christianity does not equal growth. A powerful spiritual experience does not equal growth and maturity. Now, I don't know about you, but I love those powerful spiritual experiences. I love those times when I'm impacted by the power and the glory of God, but there is no experience that you're ever going to have that will catapult you into spiritual growth. You have to grow in the Lord. So I'm not saying spiritual experiences are wrong, but don't ever equate a spiritual experience with growth. There's something more than that. Being a Christian a long time does not equal spiritual growth. There are people who gave their hearts to the Lord 50 years ago and they're still babes in Christ. They haven't grown a bit. Knowledge of the Bible and the ability to quote it, teach it, and preach it does not equal spiritual growth. Being a great Christian singer doesn't equal Christian growth. And having great talent doesn't equal Christian growth. I was hesitant to share what I'm about to share with you because I want to encourage you today. We talked about that a moment ago, and I'm afraid this may discourage you, but I prayed about it, and I feel like I have to share this with you. 1,500 pastors leave the ministry for good each month, citing burnout and contention in their churches. 1,500 preachers in America leave the ministry every month 
for good. Now, that doesn't line up with Scripture, does it? The Bible says the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. God calls you. He doesn't uncall you. Something's wrong. I, I maintain my argument that when God calls you, if you abandon that call, something's wrong. You, you, you miss some steps of spiritual growth along the way. Yes? 80 percent of pastors and 84 percent of pastors' spouses are discouraged in their roles. Eighty percent of pastors are discouraged? Friends, if that's true, the next time you get discouraged, call somebody other than a pastor. Because you're, you're, you're subject to be worse off after you leave. I heard a story years ago about a guy that crawled up on the Golden Gate Bridge to jump off and commit suicide. And a police officer came and the crowd gathered around. And, and the police officer said, don't you guys worry about this a bit in the world? I'll go up there, I'll talk to him and I'll bring him down. The police officer went up, they talked for about 30 minutes... And then they both jumped. If you're discouraged, there's an 8 out of 10 chance that the pastor you call and go sit down with is more discouraged than you are. That's not good. (laughs) By the way, Just so you'll know, I am not discouraged. <laughs> I'm encouraged. Man, I'm excited about the faith. I'm, I'm, I'm more excited now than I've ever been in my life. Well, let me, uh, let me keep going. You're talking about a heartbreaker. Now, these are some recent surveys among pastors across denominational lines in America. 50% of pastors say they are unable to meet the demands of their job and are so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could, but have no other way to make a living. Half of the preachers standing in the pulpits of America today would leave if they could find some other way to make a living. God help those churches. How sad. I'm trying to drive home the point to you that because a man stands in front of a congregation and preaches or because somebody teaches a Bible study class, that doesn't mean they're spiritually mature. It means they just know how to get up and preach. That's all that means. It doesn't mean they're mature. Let me read this to you. Ministry does not produce maturity. It does not produce growth in grace. Intimacy produces growth and maturity. One more time. Intimacy. Not ministry. Intimacy produces growth and maturity. An intimate relationship with the Lord is what produces growth. And then ministry can flow out of that. Take away the intimacy and the ministry becomes cold. Just a job we do. A professional service. It becomes a performance. I can tell you, friends, 
when a pastor, a teacher, a minister of the gospel does not have an intimate relationship with the Lord, sooner or later the wheels will come off. Sooner or later, he will fall. Sooner or later, he he will get discouraged. Or sooner or later, the church will run him off. Or sooner or later, when the opportunity comes, he'll find another job and he will do it. And if you doubt what I'm telling you, this is one of the latest statistics. For every 20 pastors who go into the ministry, only one retires from the ministry. That is heartbreaking. Ministry does not equal uh, maturity. Talent doesn't equal maturity either. You can have talent to woo and wow people, to mesmerize them, but that doesn't equal spiritual maturity. Do you know what? Whitney Houston, Usher, Jessica Simpson, Diana Ross, Katy Perry, John Legend, Aretha Franklin... Of Real Levine, Faith Evans, Little Richard, Patti LaBelle, Elvis Presley, Carrie Underwood, Faith Hill, Miley Cyrus, Beyonce, Dolly Parton, and many other professional singers have in common. They all started out in church. They were singing in church. But the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life was stronger than any spiritual growth or depth they had. And the first time they had an opportunity to have more of the world, they stepped out of the church. Oh, friends, will that break your heart or what? Do you understand if you listen to secular music today that there's a real good chance you're listening to somebody who used to sing for the Lord? but abandon the faith because of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Wow. You you see, friend, having great talent does not mean you're mature. It means you're more vulnerable to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. That's all that means. And you've got to be careful. Now, by the way, before we get too righteous here today. I wonder how many people would be seated in the pews of America today if somebody waved $10 million in front of them. I wonder how many people would get up and walk out of church today. Give them $10 million and they'll walk out and do something else. Wait. Wait, we already know. We already know that half the preachers in America would take it, don't we? I told you I was going to depress you just a little bit. (laughs) Half the preachers in America would take the 10 million walk out of the pulpit. I wonder how many people in America, pulpit, choirs, orchestra, pews, if somebody waved $10 million in front of them would say without budging, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Him than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hand. I wonder how many. Oh, friends. You see, what John is saying 
is John is saying this. John is saying, I'm writing unto you. I'm ministering to you because your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. I'm ministering unto you. I'm writing this unto you because you have met the eternal one. You've met Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm ministering unto you because at the moment you got saved, you overcame the wicked one. You're an overcomer. He resides in you. I'm writing unto you because the Holy Spirit lives in you and you are strong in the faith. I'm writing unto you because the Word of God abides in you. And what we're going to find from this point on is John is going to begin to take them down a journey of spiritual growth. And he says, the very first thing you have to do, the very first thing you have to do is you have to give your heart to Him completely. You cannot have divided devotion. One of the greatest preachers I ever heard said, you've got to turn loose of the world with both hands. You've got to make him first. You've got to give your heart to Jesus. That may seem ever so simple. But you know what would be so appropriate here today is if somebody listening to me said, you know what? I know my sins are forgiven. I know I've met Jesus. I know he's given me victory. I, I, know, I, I know God moves in me. I can feel it at times. I know the word is in me but things aren't going the way I think they should go, and I'm, I'm not really growing in grace. Well, here's what I want to tell you, friends. <laughs> Give your heart to Jesus today. You say, well, I gave my heart to Jesus when I got saved. I'm going to tell you, John says, after he gives that list, now love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. He's saying, now start loving. Now give your heart 100% to him. Listen, I'm going to stop right here. I've got, believe it or not, you're going to think I'm joking the soundboard, I mean the tech department up there will tell you, I've got 10 more points in this message. But I'm, I'm going to stop right here. And not, not because of time. Because I want to pick up next week and I want to share with you 10 steps of spiritual growth right out of the Word of God. And we're going to talk about you begin with giving your heart completely to the Lord and then I'm going to share next Sunday 10 steps of spiritual growth. Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you again for listening to River of Life Podcast. If this message has touched you today, or if you need somebody to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email at info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for more information and directions.